0: And welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast featuring tips and tricks you can use in about an hour. I am your good host, Shaylen Allen. And to my utter embarrassment, I knocked Sean into the warp. So he will not be joining us this evening.
1: She acts like it was an accident, but it wasn't. It wasn't an accident.
0: Yeah, you were using him as a meat shield again.
1: Shield drones work. Ask Sean.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I... Tried to pull Sean back out of the warp, and instead I pulled out my good friend Jason Bird, um, who will be joining us in his place this evening. Jason is a good friend of mine from the Pacific Northwest region. Uh, He will be in and around at tournaments and running the Harbor City Dice Con, which I'm really excited to be attending.
1: That's one in December, right? Yep. Oh, God, I I really, really want to make it out there for that one. And it is just Harbor (coughs) Dice Con, no city.
0: Apologies for that. I kind of felt that we could start this episode out with a pretty interesting topic, and that is the whole. I've heard actually recently was this unit is OP when he suffered six mortal wounds out of a Grey Knight unit.
1: Yeah, because Grey Knights are OP, folks. Heard it here first.
2: <laughs> they're the worst.
1: They're 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 broke as hell. Internet secret sauce coming to you guys. <laughs>
2: That one damage smite is horrible.
0: <laughs> Unless it turns into demons and then it's like, Oh, hey, you know that plague bearer list we just talked about? I'm gonna smite it down past twenty wounds and then dock it off the table of store bolters.
1: It's, it's funny that you mentioned that, Shaylin, because the way I've actually heard this this term reference, you know. Uh, That unit's OP is, you know, uh, exactly something, you know, Jason just mentioned a little bit ago was about Plague Bears. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard so many people, even especially recently in the last couple months, talk about how overpowered and broken Plague Bears are. When, if you look at that unit for what it is, it's not really overpowered. I mean, Jason had some solid points on those. Do uh, do Do you remember what some of those were, Jason?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're just going out of the demon book, or even just adding Death Guard with him like I do. You have a decided lack of AP. Mm-hmm. You don't have much offense. You have to put 100, another 100-point 100 character in a Scrivener with him. And then another 180-point character in a Death Guard Demon Prince with him to get him to reroll once. That's not the problem. The problem is when you get into you get into adding Arimon, two Demon Princes each, and a knight with a double Avenger Gatling Cannon standing behind It's not book to book. This is a very balanced edition. The problem is it's the mega suit factions.
0: Yeah. Synergies can actually be where the problem is. The fact for the longest time we had those knight rotating ion shields going to 3-up involds. That was a problem. And that was a synergy problem, not a unit problem.
2: But even then, I don't don't even think it was a synergy or a unit problem. The problem was the fact that they sat there with 18 command points. That they could rotate on shields every single time.
0: That's a synergy problem.
2: Because they were able, they were able to bring the guard.
0: Because knights by themselves don't get that kind of CP.
2: Nope, you're looking at 9 CP out of a knight list if it's pure knights. Yeah. Yep.
0: So this is an ongoing thing. It's when you find these combos, which they did put in intentionally, but some of these combos they were not expecting, like the Blood Angels Castellan guard list that was haunting things for a while.
2: Thanks, Mitch Pelham.
0: That was a synergy problem. Nothing in it was broken, but the synergy was bad.
2: Yeah. And then stuff gets nerfed that outside of that list is shouldn't be nerfed. If you look at Poxwalkers, Poxwalkers are unplayable in a competitive play now. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Entirely 100% unplayable. Because they never took back the nerf after they fixed the issue. Never brought the nerf back down
0: storm ravens their big problem was that they counted as holding objectives and that they were that you could not be tabled if you took them and they haven't re- decreased their points back to where they should have been or at least a little lower because I thought they were a little efficient
1: that's one of the biggest one of the biggest problems is they'll you know like Jason said they'll bring these nerfs in on units or or whole whole swaths of armies they will then fix a core mechanic that brings it back in a line but then they don't they don't pull those nerfs back, you know, and so it's <laughs> at that point you're actually creating more dichotomy and more disparaging uh, aspects of the rules than than it would be had you just left it alone to begin with and just fixed the core mechanic.
2: Yeah, well, it's the the same thing with the demons codex that still you cannot you don't have the same synergy that every other faction has with it simply because they were scared that Morty and Magnus were going to ruin LVO. Mm-hmm. They did a rushed, ham-handed fix and never went back a month later and fixed it. And now demons have restrictions that no other super army has.
1: That no other army has. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's now even causing more problems because now they're getting a little more free form of how they're dishing out this demon keyword to certain units. And now it's actually causing even more issues now with these more books and these supplements and stuff that are coming out. And now it's like, okay, well, does it affect this or this? It's, it's actually causing more rules issues now than it did then.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I was
2: really upset about that one because it was, it came kind of after uh, the heels after the flyer fix they did, which I thought was a nice, elegant flyer fix. And then they turned around and did that. And it was like, oh, guys, come oh, on.
1: Thanks for the dick punch.
2: Right. Yeah make it much more elegant like you just did. You got nothing but props about how you fixed the flyers holding stuff, and it was great, and then you turned right around and did that one.
0: And I actually liked how they fixed the smite.
1: Oh, yes, that was yes. that was actually a, a really, really elegant fix, and uh, one that I don't think many people saw coming.
0: The best part is they actually did go back and look at the Great Knights of Thousand Suns and say, actually, this fix doesn't apply to you guys, because it is just unneededly mean. Yep. That's why they haven't fixed the smites in the Great Knight Codex, which do need a fix.
2: Grey Knights and, and Space Marines, just in general, they they valued they valued three up armor, Space Marines, Necrons, mm-hmm. Grey Knights, all of anything in power armor mm-hmm. or power armor equivalent, they valued too much.
1: Uh-huh. When
2: they when they set this edition up, and it might not even be they valued too much; they just put too much AP in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean AP one is enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh yeah. You invalidate a three up army with AP one.
0: Yeah. I believe that they literally built all the points cost around the basic Space Marine, which is why they don't want to change it. But I think changing it might help them.
2: Oh, yeah. Space Marines need to be, if you're going to go with the three-up armor, keep them the same points, make them strength five, keep the beta border rule, or toughness five, excuse me, not strength yeah. five. Yeah. Toughness five, keep the beta bolter beta rule. Yeah. And that might be enough
0: to make them a
1: little better.
2: It just make those four-wound weapons wounding on
1: fives. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That would actually go a long way to help them.
1: I could get behind that. It's kind of a side push here, kind of leading into our episode. One of the topics that I've always looked at as far as, you know, rules as as they come out of the book that has a massively heated two sides of the aisle here are Maelstrom missions. Yeah. And, I mean, that's one of those things where they've interpreted and tweaked minorly, but for the most part, they've pretty much just ignored. They've added to it. They've given it a little bit more, but they've never really... Toned it, tweaked it, you know, uh, brought it in line, addressed it, really in any way, shape, or form. And I'm just kind of curious as to why you guys think that is.
2: I think a lot of it is, well, first of all, in order to really play it right, you got to have a deck of cards. Yeah. That costs an extra. That costs an extra fifteen More money. bucks. And over here in the U.S., even the casual players, if they play in any kind of tournament, they're probably playing ITC, and so it's constantly
1: ITC. And ITC doesn't use the cards. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yep.
0: ITC doesn't use the deck, Nova doesn't use the deck, Renegade doesn't use the deck, and Adepticon doesn't use the deck, I don't think. No, they don't. So those are all the big tournaments that all the American tournaments are based around, so that's like a non-negligible amount of their selling population just isn't interested. Yep.
1: I could see that. So, in essence, because it's not a relevant factor in the competitive community, it hasn't really needed or garnered much attention from Games Workshop.
0: Basically, yes. That makes sense. Outside of the ETC-style missions... Which, our topic today is MaelStorm, and it's really ETC Part 1, because there's two separate components of the ETC missions, there's the Eternal War missions, and then there's the MaelStorm missions, and both of those are big enough that we felt they warranted separate episodes, unlike the ITC primary, which you can explain in 20 minutes.
1: (laughs) If not less, yeah, for sure.
0: So, as a result of this, we're going to break down MaelStorm separately, And we are also going to, while we're here, cover playing mail missions just straight as written in the book, which is not nearly as fun as in the double competitive sense like the ETC does it. Mostly because it's really random.
1: Yeah, that's for sure.
2: I think it's more fun. I don't think it's balanced.
0: Fair.
1: Exactly. It's, It's a great, it's almost like the open war missions. It's a great way to have some fun with the game and kind of throw some spice in it to kind of liven it up, but to try and base a competitive setting around it horrible idea.
2: And one thing competitive players hate is showing up and having a random element. Like, most of them want to get rid of C's and it's like, yeah, come on, guys.
1: Yeah. You know, on that, I'm going to side it and I'm not going to, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, London GT this year has actually completely done away with CZ Initiative. The entire pregame setup is down to one die roll. I disagree with that. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence on it. I really don't know how I feel about it. It feels really odd because C's has just been there for so long. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. It punishes bad deployments.
1: <laughs> True story. <laughs> yep. You're right. I mean, but that's just one more example of why competitive gamers just want less variety. They want less randomness. They want to be able to control as much as they can. The problem is, at the end of the day, we have to remember we're still playing a dice game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's delve into Baelstorm now that we've done our little asides and put our little caveat on the episode so everyone can follow the intention. An aspect of the Maelstorm mission that is kind of a really cool double-edged sword, I would really call it, is the card feedback loop. Which is, every time you score, it encourages you to draw another card. So, you're sitting there, it's like, oh cool, I completed an objective, now I have a new objective to complete. The problem is, and something I have found on Fun, is when you get an objective that is technically possible, but almost impossible to complete. And then you can't get new cards.
1: You mean domination isn't easy to get? <laughs> Hold all six objectives. I mean, that's that's, that's easy, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck that card.
1: <laughs> you're lucky if you have six units.
0: With a Grey Knights army?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 100% right. I mean, that's one of the major issues uh, I've seen a lot of people have with Maelstrom is, you know, it's, it's almost like this cascading effect, which ironically is one of the, the missions, I think it's...
0: Tactical Cascade.
1: Yeah, that one. <laughs> and then Contact Loss is a really big one as well. Those both, they they can spiral out of control. They can snowball so bad so fast. Mm-hmm. Where if your opponent has the ability to gain a lot of table control, board control really early, at that point, you can just kill them. They can let you kill them for the next four turns, but they're going to rack up so many points off cards that they just don't care. Yeah. As long as you don't table them, they win. And, and those are major issues because they're drawing four, five, six cards a turn, which... I mean, do the math on it. If you draw five cards a turn, you're drawing out almost your entire deck by the end of the game.
0: Yeah. And also, that's five points you just scored. Minimum. Yeah.
1: Assuming that none of those are multiple point values, it's a minimum five points a turn. So it very much is one of the biggest gripes about Maelstrom is the fact that I can win or lose a game based on the cards I draw at the start of the game. That has issues with competitive players, and I can't blame them on that one. That would piss me off. Because at that point, you as a player don't matter. You stepped up to the table, you brought an army that was good, you deployed everything right, you you did everything you were supposed to do, and then you draw four cards at the beginning, your opponent draws four cards, and you now lose the game.
2: Yeah, because you drew a hold objectives 1, 2, and objectives hold objectives 1, 2, and 3, and objectives 1, 2, and 3 just happen to be...
1: In their deployment zone. Yay!
2: And it's an orc horde with 180 models.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then on, on that same token, he then draws the exact same objectives you did... But they're in his deployment zone, so he doesn't even move. He's like, ah, I got four or five points. squeep, I'll wait for next turn. Yep. <laughs> you lose. Right? You're like, oh, sweet. It's turn two, and you already got a six-point spread on me. This is this is going great. Yeah, so, I mean, that's exactly it. And, and I 100% understand why competitive players do not like that.
2: It's worse than that six-point spread, because he's got a six-point spread. He got to draw three more cards, and you still have to go get yep. objective
1: <laughs> one, two, and three. <laughs> You get to discard one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And you have to spend CP to do it.
1: Yeah. Yep. Horrible. So that's really
2: like a 12-point swing.
1: Yeah, right? I mean, exactly, because there's that cascade. That's exactly what happens at that point.
2: Better. Brought a lot of take commander with Punisher Gally.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's like an example of why there's some problematic natures to the Maelstorm setup. And even when you can build your deck, sometimes you get things that are just... I got cast a psychic power and they brought thousand suns and they deny all of my psychic powers all game. That just sucks.
2: I'm more okay. I'm more okay with that one because that one's on you.
0: Yep,
1: and it's also it's also a single card. It's one card in your deck. Yep. And and the best part is, I, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but that same card is either cast a psychic power or deny a psychic power.
0: I'm talking about the Grey Knight-specific one that is literally cast to power, <laughs> which I leave in my deck because, of course, I leave that one in my deck.
1: Sorry, you're thinking the faction-specific. Yes, I apologize. Yeah. Yes. The basic deck one, that one I believe is cast or deny, which gives you a little bit more flexibility to potentially gain that. But yes, that's it, it's definitely rough.
0: There's also the notion of Bastom cards aren't built equally. Like, domination is basically impossible to get for almost any army.
1: And if you do get it, you pretty much won the game.
0: Because your opponent will hold an objective all game. They can do that pretty well, and that's hard to steal from them.
1: Well, remember, you know, I'm actually glad you mentioned that exactly right there. It's another one of the inherent issues a lot of people have with Maelstrom cards is... Maelstrom cards, there's absolutely nothing your opponent can do to respond to cards that you draw... Because almost every Maelstrom card, I know there's a few otherwise, but almost every Maelstrom card is scored at the end of the turn, You pretty much the turn you draw. it. You draw it and it's scored at the end of your player turn. Not battle round, but player turn. Yeah. And as a result of that, if I draw Domination and it says to hold all six objectives, you may have been holding that objective for most of the game, but if I just push up just to hold it for right now to get me Domination, there's nothing you as my opponent can do to actually counter that you there's less interaction between the two players that way
2: yeah and you don't know what's coming exactly and and so you don't know what's coming so yeah hey great i've got five terminators standing on an objective back here that objective should be completely fine for the rest of the game but oh i drew that i'm jumping 30 boys over there with my eight inch charge and it's mine
1: yeah exactly yeah when you're like oh i thought i had this Uh, or worst case scenario. you you have the subjective for five turns, and you never draw the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times I've had that happen. I'm like, I got this one. I've got it locked, and it doesn't freaking matter, you know? So it, it's exactly that that variance, that randomness. God, it causes so many bad feel-bad moments with mouse remissions.
0: Yeah, and, and that's basically the reason why some people have problems with it, is that there's a lot of feel-bad moments. Feel-bad moments just aren't as fun.
2: No, feel-bads, they suck.
0: Yeah, no, it's like, and sometimes it's, it'll be like, oh man, I get the Grey Knight one where I cast powers, and then I blow off a bunch of powers and get myself like six Maelstorm points off the card, because you can do that with the Grey Knight cast card. And my opponent's just say they're like, really? You're doing what your army already does, and you just got paid for it? What?
1: <laughs> and then it turns out what you killed was blood letters and they just came back for two. Yeah, exactly. They just spent two CP, and they're all back. One of the things I actually really like, personally, about the faction-specific decks is... The exact thing we were talking about earlier in the power soup armies, mm-hmm. a lot of times people will take these faction-specific decks and like um like, I've got three Custode Shield Captains in my army and I made one of my Warlords, so I'm running the Custodes faction deck. But all I have in my army is three Shield Captains.
0: They can't do all the Custodes custom stuff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's quite a few Custode cards in there specific that you're just not going to be able to score as a result of that. And so I, I like how it... The faction-specific decks do have a tendency to tone some of the huge, you know, cherry-picking out, but mm-hmm. we don't really use Maelstrom in competitive, so it's not really a big as big of a deal.
0: Mm-hmm. So a- another thing is, like, two-thirds of the Maelstrom deck is all about controlling objectives and territory. So this is a huge, huge, huge reward for board control armies, which is great for things like orcs or a plague bear list, where it's like, yeah, no, I can just go... Take over the board. It's fine. I got the bodies. Um, but for more elite based armies, that can be really problematic. Like tower, like uh, we don't really control the board. We just shoot everything to death.
2: Tower deserve it.
0: Uh, that's a different discussion for a whole different episode. But yes, they do. The problem with some of the kill objectives ones, and this is very consistent across them, is they require a really specific target. Like the kill the psyker one. You're sitting there, and unless your opponent brought grenades or Thousand Suns, you probably don't actually want to take that because it's not a character protected in the backfield. Yeah. They're one Psyker, if they even have
2: one. Right. You ain't getting to any of the Psykers in any list I play unless I want you to.
1: That That's exactly... I mean, I'd say easily 90% of Psyker-based lists out there, even the Thousand Suns ones, you're not getting to those Psykers unless your opponent really wants to present them, and... It's most likely not going to be. I mean, at that point, that card is worthless to you. You might as well replace it with something you can get.
2: Yeah, even if you're just playing the Zinch God faction, there's going to be
0: 60 Plate bears standing in front of the Psychers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Or, my personal favorite is Flyers, and your opponent brought Eldar Flyers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the one I love about the Flyer one is, and a lot of people don't, I, I guess people still don't get this sometimes, is it's any unit with Fly. So you kill that one jet Bike unit, or I you kill that Wave Serpent, and you get the Flyer one. Ah. Yeah, it's it's literally kill a unit with the fly keyword.
0: That's way better.
1: I killed a demon prince, and hey I got that one. Boom done. Or the silly little stealthy. Yeah, right. <laughs> they fly, die bitches. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I personally like about the mouser missions, but I know a lot of people don't seem to enjoy it. so there's different obviously different kinds. We have the basic ones that came out in the core rule book. But then they also came out with more. They came out with the, uh, another sets in both the different chapter approves, and I think they've even had some variants that they kicked out in a White ch- a, a Dwarf or two.
0: Yeah, they have. They have actually added a lot of ma- missions to the Maelstrom set. So you actually have a lot to draw from, especially if you're in a thing about building where you can build your deck, which we'll get to a later. second half of the episode about deck building, because that's its own thing. It's kind of interesting, because right now we're just kind of talking about aspects of the Maelstorm missions that are kind of fascinating. One of the big things about Maelstrom, I've noticed, is staying alive is the best thing you can do tactically with a Maelstrom mission, because it means you have units to interact with the board later. Because you can draw holding objectives on turn six.
1: Yes, durability and mobility are the two strongest assets in most of the Maelstrom decks.
0: Yeah, that's how you would build your army for it, because you can't actually build your army for this to a degree, randomness aside. The jump becomes really important, stratagems like Wings of Fire become important, because I have played Maelstorm games where it's just like, I'm going to shut this unit over here. Woo, I get a point.
2: But honestly, what you described is the same thing that makes a good army in ITC. After you get past the mid-tables, the armies aren't tabling the other army. Yeah. When When you have two good players, they're not tabling each other. I mean, just look at what happened at Sean Naden's game in the final round of the team tournament. Mm-hmm. He should have lost that game. I mean, he gets blown out of the water first turn, and then comes back and wins that game because he's a he's he had a durable, mobile army that he plays well.
0: Yeah, that said, they are especially key in this because Tau can still win tournaments, and they are not known for their mobility. I'll put that out.
2: Oh, it's it's much it's much more important in this than it is in FTC. but it's the same concepts.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah the the basic principle is still there, and Maelstrom because it kind of uh, amplifies that randomness it also amplifies that need for those core principles even more
0: yep yes exactly in order to absorb a random form of maelstrom your army needs to be extra resilient and extra fast at the same time which is a weird concept because there aren't a lot of units in the game that really hit that qualification usually they're one or the other
1: yeah yeah
0: um it's not like we don't have units that are both fast and durable comma they're a lot harder to come by than you think
2: and they're expensive. Usually. Point-wise.
0: Point-wise. But I'll point out that, like, a unit of boys is actually pretty fast, and it can have up to 40 boys in it, when you consider, like, mobbing up.
2: Most people aren't mobbing up anymore, honestly. Actually, they're mobbing up late game.
1: Yeah.
0: Still, uh, you you get the concept of, like, okay, well, I got a 30-man blob. Well, that's 30 wounds. It moves 5 plus D, 6 inches a turn, and then it'll most certainly assault something. Giving it an extra two d six, so it's actually faster than you think it is.
2: It's also about three hundred fifteen points, though, too.
0: Yeah, not like big units don't cost, but that is something to know. But it's like Sean and I were dunking around, and he was running a Windrider Warlock on Windrider unit, and that thing was jumping around and causing mayhem. Oh yeah, that's what that unit's designed to do. But it also has its vulnerabilities, so it's like, yeah, it relies on it on psychics to like keep it alive.
2: Yeah, but that's only, like, what right around? 125
0: I don't remember what it costs, because I didn't actually see the points on the list.
2: I think it's a pretty, I think it's somewhere around there. Might be, you know, missing some, but it's pretty good value. Oh, Yeah.
0: The unit that relies on psychic nonsense to keep it alive will run cheaper, but it does get the variants of psychic variants, which, so, that's a simple simpler sword for a different episode. The other thing to note with Maelstrom is, while it is, can be random, you do have the ability to discard cards... And you can crawl back surprisingly because you might start with a bad hand and, like, have to kind of, like, jimmy and take two lame turns. But then your opponent can get shuffled in a bad hand and then they can't move anywhere.
1: But that's the variance that we were talking about. I mean, it's... Yeah. You know, that randomness is exactly what turns people off from that maelstrom.
0: Yeah, no, I'm commenting the randomness. uh, We talked about happening specifically at the beginning of the game. It can happen any point in the game is what I'm trying to say.
1: You can get screwed or... Gifted turn five. It's you just don't know.
2: Yeah, maelstrom reminds me of AOS. It reminds me of that double turn in AOS.
1: Double turn, yeah. Uh.
2: If me and my buddies want to play a cool, fun game that we can have some surprises in, you know, just on a stream or in the shop, that's great. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's some good stuff. But if I'm gonna, you know, spend a thousand dollars to fly to a tournament, stay at a hotel, you know, take a whole weekend. I don't want that coming down to I got double turned on or I drew bad Maelstrom cards.
0: Yeah, that's like a lot more salt factor. And mind you, I've had some fun writing my own Maelstrom cards. I played a game where we wrote our own Maelstrom cards as a joke. So one of the Maelstrom cards I, because um, we split them in half and like fr- gave them to each other, and one of the Maelstrom cards was do the Hokey Pokey to get a point.
2: I love that stuff for like little RTTs and stuff. Amazing.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic in a narrative, silly, casual RTT, because it's like, now Sean Morgan is doing the hokey pokey. You win. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't matter, he gets a point. You win because you watched him do the hokey pokey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, is funny, because this entire first half that I've been just frickin' pounding on Maelstrom objectives, I actually really do like them when used and applied correctly for a competitive setting it has to be obviously altered pretty dramatically to make it legit but it can be very very good for competitive games
2: yeah same thing here we're talking about one of our next rcts using maelstrom cards with some variation of it down here in aberdeen it's just something we want to do because it's fun the maelstrom deck is fun
0: it really can be fun and i have had fun playing maelstrom games don't get me wrong that and there's some
2: competitive players around here that I want to see have a meltdown when they, when they lose a quote-unquote tournament game in an RTT because they drew bad cards. I just think it'll be fun.
0: <laughs> You're one of those people.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love it when super serious guys lose it.
0: As we said, they, they can be fun and they aren't actually bad because they really do appeal to more competitive crowds. And I think they have a really good place in the game. And that it would be nice if Games Workshop actually put some effort into balancing their Maelstrom cards a little bit to make it more fun for competitive people, too.
2: Yeah, for sure. absolutely.
0: Because, as we said, domination, that's really hard to do. And they
2: make you a better player. Yeah. That way you can't get into that systematic formula of, I'm going, I know I have to kill one, I have to hold one, I have to go here, I have to go here. These are the secondaries oh. I choose. It makes you be more flexible and think better on your feet.
0: Yes, we will have an entire episode dedicated to cross-training, and Maelstorm is a good cross-trainer, so we'll get to their...
2: Oh, Bo Jackson-type
0: stuff. Uh. Unfortunately, I hear the quartermaster, and that means the two of you probably owe some push-ups to somebody.
1: I still say Sean was your fault, not mine.
0: (laughs) So we'll be back, ramped up and ready to go after this break, where you get to hear some fabulous tunes. Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th,
1: and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are
0: a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin. Greetings Wargamers, let me tell you about the Dots RPG Project. It's a nonprofit organization aiming to create gaming aids such as tactile braille dice and transcribing braille rule books and other gaming aids to help various individuals with disabilities, both intellectual and physical, get into gaming in our local communities. I highly advise sending some money their way, they're doing some really good work. we are back and I am amused by the amount of sweat on the floor. How are you two feeling?
1: I'm alive. Better than Jean.
0: I'll get him back eventually, I promise. That's where I spent my break.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what they told to, uh, Drago. That's what they said to him. How's that working out?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to, like, mind wipe you since you know that name, so we'll see how this works out. <laughs> 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 ah, joke's on you. I don't have one. This is probably true.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't like that dragon guy. He did stuff to my special
1: boy, Morty.
0: You know, in your defense, Morty did kill Garanaton first, but that's a different discussion.
1: And bad touch. Bad touch.
0: Mm-hmm. A alternate tactic to having a lot of mobility and board control is the Tau tactic, which is to have all of the killing power, because you can still win a Maelstrom game by tabling your opponent.
1: Kill everything. Most maelstrom missions, yes, will will still dictate a full victory upon tabling your opponent.
0: Yes, so that is an option, or you just shoot all their board control off the table, and then it doesn't matter that you don't have any, because they don't have any either.
1: Be aware that some of the new chapter-approved maelstrom missions, just rulebook maelstrom missions, are using the, uh, the new... I don't remember the name of the rule, but the one that uh, the new sudden death alteration, where uh, tabling someone does not automatically uh, award a victory. You actually count up total points accrued at that point in time. Yes. And whoever has the most wins.
2: Which leads to some weird
1: stuff where
0: you're oh, not yeah.
2: shooting your opponent's last model because you're trying to get more.
1: Yep.
0: Yep. It, it does lead to that.
1: Or one of one of my personal favorites, where I saw a guy intentionally table himself by charging the, his last five-man unit into, a, <laughs> that's into an enemy just to get them killed, because if he, he was tabled at the bottom of his turn, he won by two points. But if his opponent got to take their turn, he would most likely have won. <laughs>
2: yeah. And you wanted to talk <laughs> about field badsies earlier? That's field badsies.
1: <laughs> right? When you're like, wait, what the hell just... No, that's a, no you don't get to suicide yourself and win. I, yeah, I tabled gotcha. you. I had
2: you beat, and then you stole it from me by killing yourself.
1: Makes no sense. That makes no sense.
0: (laughs) That goes right up there with the time I double-tabled myself in 8th edition, because I've done it now. Yeah!
2: That reminds me, there was a thing in Kill Team. Uh Uh-huh. The first edition of Kill Team. Same way. Because I tabled him in round 3, the game automatically ends. And because I hadn't run over and touched these two objectives that I could now do, because his whole army's off the board, I auto lost. It was like this is not right. No, this is n- this is not not a good rule set.
0: I do like the ITC nature of the tabling thing, where if you've tabled, you get four points on the primary no matter what.
1: Yeah, it, it's like just below max points. Like you can't max it that way, but it still gives you a really solid point base because you did right. a- accomplish a great thing in the game.
0: Yeah,
2: you couldn't have done nothing for five turns and then done it. You could have done nothing for two turns, then table them, and yeah, you should win that game.
0: Yeah, that's a the thing there that's kind of intriguing and somewhat awkward aspect, but it can also be fun to win from a table, because it's just like, I accrued a ton of points, you shot my granites off, doesn't matter, I'm up 50, bro.
1: But, you know, one of the things that is argued for and against Maelstrom over ITC is, obviously, you know, people always talk about, well, with ITC, the missions are so structured that you can tailor your armies to avoiding certain, you know, giving your opponent points, like, you know, avoiding secondaries that you don't want to give your opponent. But in the same breath, you can actually do the same thing with Maelstrom decks.
0: Oh, yeah. No, you, you totally can.
1: You can be like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, I'm just not going to take any flyers. I'm not going to take any psychers. I'm not going to take vehicles or whatever. And, and in so doing, you're doing the exact same thing. You're just going a different route of doing it. That's really all you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, that argument of which one's better because of that, uh, I kind of feel it's kind of a moot argument. It's both a real aspect of both games.
0: It's like, what's better, apples or oranges? They're fundamentally different fruits, so why are you talking about this?
2: Well, and that's why in Europe you see a lot of 120 Plague Bear lists. You don't see 120 Plague Bear lists over here. No. Because with 120 Plague Bear's in Maelstrom, you can go, okay, um, my opponent's not killing anything, and they're not holding ground.
1: Well, that was uh, London GT last year, though one of the lists that did yep. exceptionally well. Where he had, was it like, I think it was like 50-something nerglings and like three demon princes. And that was the guy's whole list. And it was hilarious because he was actually doing really well. Because it's actually surprisingly hard to kill 50-something bases of nerglings that are just going to hide and sit on objectives and say, screw you.
2: And you know what hides behind styrofoam real well?
1: Nerglings. Oh, yeah. Nerglings, exactly. (laughs) Because they're short. Yeah, exactly. There was no piece of styrofoam out there that wouldn't hide the entire base. (laughs) <laughs> but exactly. I mean, obviously that list in an ITC would it it'd never make it past round one. I mean, it would just get curb stomped so fast. So, I mean, th- that right there is exactly it. That, there's your dichotomy of what one mission style versus the other does. One's based off that randomness, off that variance, where one has more of a rigid structure allowing you to to hit multiple pieces. Yeah. So the question leads into what can be done about mouse from Objectives to make them more uh, akin to ITC in that a little more structured and able to be done in competitive play.
0: Another thing to note here is when you're actually playing Maelstorm, you can win and like build for it, as we point out. Like you can not take airplanes, you can not take psychers, or you can take all the psychers, asterisks, knowing they probably chucked the psycher card out of their deck when they built their deck, because it's really hard for everybody else to kill Psychers. I have seen this happen. (laughs) Yeah the opponent's like I don't have the kill psyker card. I'm like against our armies, but mine that wouldn't have been relevant.
2: But if you're able to pick your cards when you see your opponent's army, all of a sudden the game gets.
0: So I've been to tournaments where you build your deck before you walk in. No. And that's one style, and then there's also ones where you get to build between armies. Now, obviously, building between matches is more powerful and more balanced in a certain sort of way, and certainly rewards skill for building your deck correctly but arguably it takes less time because you don't have to build a deck in the middle of your game, which you have a limited amount of time to play. So there's advantages and disadvantages there. A thing to note with Maelstorm is because you know that if they have to kill certain targets, protecting those targets can be really useful. Just hiding them in a building where the bottom floor can't be seen through is one thing. Well,
1: it's like Jason was talking earlier about, you know, if you get the draw the Psyker one and you're playing against even a Thousand Suns list, you're never gonna get that yeah. Psyker character, but doesn't that also kind of present some opportunities as a player? If I'm like, like Jason said, the exact statement he made. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, but you said you're not gonna kill one of these psychers unless I let you. Correct. That kind of presents an opportunity. How many times you're playing against the eighty plague, ninety plague bears, or whatever, in the in the thousand sun psychers behind it, and you're just you're kind of in this standoff, you know, like, I'm not going towards you, but the Plague Bear thing is slowly coming towards me, but no one's really committing, right? Mm -hmm. Well, my opponent just drew the kill a Psyker card, and what am I going to do? I'm literally going to send a Psyker out just a little bit out there on the flank there to let this person think he's got a shot at it, and he probably does. But what is he going to have to commit to kill him? Yeah. And then what am I going to then be able to turn around and pound on? Yeah. You know, I mean, you can almost bait him in that way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, this is why we're talking about actually playing the cards correctly, is using your opponent's cards against them is definitely a good tactic. And also denying your opponent's points. It's like, well, I put ten Blightlord Terminators on this objective. Most things are not walking over there.
2: No, but if it's just a hold objective, all it takes is one orc boy.
0: Yeah, one dumb orc boy, but if I put lock the bases such that you literally can't stick the orc boy between it,
2: yeah, but he's he's coming with twenty nine other friends. They'll go ahead and kill enough uh plague bloats.
0: That's an example
2: Yep, I get what you're saying. Yeah. One of the reasons I'm back to Nurgle instead of my forks, I just got sick of getting board controlled.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
2: Well, and the nine inch charge. It was it was too much. Well I'm down to an eight inch with Evil Sons, but it was just you know, if you leave a pack of boys sitting out there it's just it's not worth
1: it. It's just
0: bad. Yeah. But, but the point I'm trying to come across here is if you find an opportunity to basically, like, make it so that scoring certain things against you are absurdly hard, then you've just made your opponent's life more miserable. Oh, yeah. Which is always a good tactic. It's like, oh, you want to kill something this turn? Nothing's in line of sight. Good luck.
2: It's the same concept with ITC
0: and list building there, too. Yeah.
2: Because it's just, oh, this list does not give up mask secondaries. Deal with it.
0: There's some other really cool stuff in there as well, like is card counting, which is an interesting skill you don't really expect to do, especially if you have a limited deck. It's like, well, how much of my deck is left? How much of it have I spent? How much of my objectives have I gone through? Am I looking at more kill likely kill cards than not kill cards? You can actually predict what you're going to get to some degree if you're willing to invest in that skill, Yeah. which is mostly a late turn skill, but it's not useless to you. And then I,
2: I think you got to put rules in place
0: mm-hmm.
2: in a tournament setting where I am not allowed to flip through the number of cards I have. I'm not allowed to flick them back over after I've used them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, the moment you start looking at that, and I, I hate saying that, you know, ab- about the game right now, as this game is pushing more and more towards structured competitive play, which it is. I, I think anyone that's really in- integrated in the competitive scene right now would have to admit that this game is, it's on the cusp. It's approaching that legitimate, competitive, almost borderline professional game. And the moment you start doing that and now cards are involved, well, now you have, you know, deck shuffling issues and or requirements and card marking and, and all this because it becomes a thing.
2: Visually checking each card before every game, each deck before every game to make sure they didn't slide an extra one in there.
1: Or take one out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, or take one out. How
1: much more can, I mean, how, how beneficial is it to take domination out of my deck?
2: Yeah. You see it at magic tournaments all the time. These guys are even on stream. Yeah, and they're Pullman cards. Yep.
0: So, in that sense, mailstorm can have mechanical problems, but presently, you are allowed to count the cards remaining in your deck, and we are assuming people are not cheating here because we don't advocate that. And if you catch your opponent doing that, sure as crap, you should call them on it because that's not okay. And just get the get the to. Yeah. Yeah. That's what tos
2: do. This is one things we do. Get me while it's happening. Please, don't come tell me two games later. Get me right now.
0: Yes. Uh, all three of us are TOs, by the way. <laughs> a thing to know is there are technically secondaries in the Maelstorm mission set. There's Sway the Warlord, either First Blood or First Strike, depending on what version they're using, and Linebreaker. And it's one to three points, which is not a lot, but sometimes that it can be a really close game, and that can be the difference.
1: Yeah. It can easily alter it. It can, it can swing it.
0: Yeah. In the extreme cases where you've stacked up a lot of points with Maelstrom, those points are relevant. But as I said, in closer games, it can become very important. Sometimes three points is a lot of points.
1: It can be. I mean, in, in, a, in the Maelstrom setting, though, I mean, you figure three points in and of itself can sometimes be a single card. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, and, and mind you, this is also banking on you getting all three of those points and your opponent getting none.
2: And that's right. also another thing we didn't talk about, is the randomized victory points on the cards.
1: Yes. In and of itself, if we're talking pure Maelstrom missions, these these cards, I mean, some of them can literally can be worth five points apiece.
0: So one of the things they do do in many competitive situations is they cap that at just fixing it to two or fixing it to three in the D6 version.
1: It was actually what what they, the best one that I've seen, what they do is they literally just any variable die, because like, it's all D3s, right? Mm-hmm. Any D3 is classified as a 2. Yeah. So if there's bonuses D3, like D3 plus 1 or D3 plus 2 or whatever, it's still just the D3 is considered a 2. Yes. And then you award points accordingly. More okay with that, then. Yeah.
0: That takes a lot of the worst of that out of there, that swingy factor, because it's also like... Oh man, I have an opportunity to get ahead. One, 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 one.
1: You know, but there's the other side of the coin, though. I mean, you were talking about the the granite one you have that'll score like five or six points. I know for a fact, uh, Jason, he runs Death Guard. There is a Death Guard faction specific, Maelstrom objective that I personally have seen award. It was somewhere in the in the lines of seven or eight points in a single turn. Yeah, and it's the one where every every multiple of seven wounds you do in that single turn, is worth a victory point.
2: Yeah, and then I'm doing a bunch of math and square rooting.
1: Yeah, it's it's Jesus, dude. <laughs> Just stop.
0: Yeah, you don't want to have things where you have to do a lot of keeping track. Keeping track is a pain in the butt. That is not a good game mechanic.
1: <laughs> no. So, I want to ask. So, we, I mean, we've pointed out a lot of strengths that the Maelstrom objectives have. We've also pointed out some obviously glaring weaknesses, and there are some missions, I mean, as we talked about, ETC kind of has their own format of how, they're, how they handle the Maelstroms. First question, are there ways that it could be implemented in a competitive setting? And if so, how?
0: So the first, and somewhat obvious, is to build decks and give the players control over what they can draw. As I said, there's the two different versions. There's the one where you build your deck on the spot in front of your opponent right before the game starts, And then there's the one where you build it and walk in and use that one deck the whole tournament.
2: I think I prefer right in front of the opponent. Your opponent gets to see what you chose. He knows exactly that you have the right amount of cards. He knows you don't have any multiples that you shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And it's right in front of him. I I like that one. And it's just better. Because, like, if let's say you bring a Knight's List or a Renegade's Knight's List to a tournament. Mm -hmm. You know, you really, in a Maelstrom, you are really going to struggle if you're not able to ta- tailor that between
0: opponents. Yes. Yeah. The the side effect is, it does consume match time, and match time is already hard to accomplish.
1: Well, I, do, hold on, does it though? Does it though? Because, I mean, think about it in an ITC setting, how much time do you spend before match going over secondaries with your opponent? What, three to five minutes?
0: Yep. Less. Okay. Uh, it all depends. If it's a competitive opponent, 20 seconds.
2: My Nurgle I get asked 12 times what they can max.
1: Yeah. And then... They'll, they'll literally look at, how many models do you have? Shit, you only got 74. I can't max that.
2: You tell them Big Game Hunter is the three Plague Tanks and the Demon Prince, then they're like, oh, what else can I max? Oh, well, you can go ahead and max, you know, mark for Death. Yeah,
1: so, Shay, I would agree with you. I would agree with you that I'd probably say 70 or 80% of my games, the first two mm-hmm. ITC secondary objectives that my opponent chooses are, those first two are done in the first, like, 30 seconds. They'll then spend three to five minutes picking their third one.
2: Yep.
0: I play Grey Knights, and if some- my opponent can't figure out very quickly to take marked Butcher's Bill and something else good, that's their problem.
1: So, a uh, prime example, if I was running my Nurgle Demon summoning list, I would never take either- any of those against you. That'd be a waste. There's no way I'm going to get marked for death against you. It's not going to happen. Butcher's Bill, I'll be lucky if I kill one unit to turn more or less two. But that's exactly it. Like, as a, as a player... You have to spend that time and, and assess that. So, I mean, I'd say three minutes, three to five minutes for that sec- for that time of going over. I'm not even just choosing secondaries. I'm even going over secondaries.
0: I, my comment is that is a much faster process to, for me in my experience because literally it is 20 seconds and go.
1: But we're also not practiced at it,
2: too, over here. We're not practicing picking maelstrom cards.
0: That's true. Yeah. Yeah, because
1: I'm pretty sure you're pulling 18 cards. You're pulling 18 of 36 cards out, and I'm pretty sure with the right practice...
0: I'm going to tell you what I do is I'm going to build one deck and use it the entire tournament because I don't freaking want to build custom decks every time.
1: Yeah, and that's your option. And the best part is you don't even have, now Now you're even faster than the ITC because you're just like, I got my deck, I'm good.
0: As I said, it's a double-edged sword. I do think it would present overall a time squeeze factor, at least in the initial implementation.
1: True, but and, uh, yes, exactly.
0: And I think there will also be arguments of if someone drops their deck on the floor, oh god, they're going to have to spend another five minutes picking it up, making sure the cards in there they're supposed to be. Oh,
2: that is one thing I didn't think of.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, so I can see a drama factor increase as well.
1: There are some double-edged.
0: Yeah. I have knocked my Maelstrom cards on the floor and had my opponent flip a shit, because I legitimately just clumsied it.
1: I've seen it before as well. Uh In that same breath, you got those guys that run the ITC missions. I've seen this happen where they'll have like the dry erase sheet. Mm-hmm. The guy's tracking his score, and the other guys tra- and and he put a codex down on it or whatever, and half the sheet got wiped off. And then he starts arguing scores with his opponent, like no, it's, you, I had this, and he's like, your opponent who's has written this down says no, I've got this, and now they're arguing over that. But the same thing with the Maelstrom. I've also seen Maelstrom games where. You know, you have cards you've scored, and then you've had cards you've discarded, right? What happens if those two piles get mixed up?
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, you start accidentally putting stuff on one pile. It uh-huh. shouldn't have been, yeah.
1: And so there's a lot of questions and variables that come in. But I think there is some merit to considering it, to, to looking at it. And it, do do I think it has value? I, I don't know. I The one thing I love most about finding a way to implement Maelstrom in the in competitive play, is it is going to make army building a little bit harder for, for competitive events. And I'm not saying it's going to be better or worse than ITC. It'll be different, which variety is the spice of life.
2: Exactly. And the maelstrom missions definitely have more variety. And it's constantly bouncing around. You can have swings. And like I said, it's fun. I really like playing.
1: The ETC missions are some of the most rewarding missions I've ever played. I will 100% admit that. The, they are hard. Oh my god, are they hard. Yeah. But they are very rewarding. When you walk out of an ETC game and you were, it's a hardcore matchup that you should never have had a shot at winning, but you fight tooth and nail for like a two-point victory, you really feel like you freaking earned that victory at the end of that game. And they're very rewarding. So yeah, I, I think there's merit there. Hopefully, uh, I know, Jason, you mentioned that you're, you're playing around with this, some of your events. I would love to see how that plays out. I would like to see some of these really good events. Implementing some ideas and options with it. I know the Du Bois this year and Steel City Slaughter, from what I hear, are both going to be implementing some type of maelstrom as well. So I'm really curious to see how this develops over the next six months.
2: Yeah, we're going to try it out in an RTT this fall. Awesome. Maybe late summer, fall, we're going to try it out in RTT. If people really like it, uh, we might throw it in a GT. We do like five GTs a year in Aberdeen. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, and so it, we we have we've got GTS we can play with, and right now all of our GTS are just standard ITC, and I kind of like to to mix it up.
1: Get some variety in there. I 100% agree.
0: 100%. Yeah, I played an open war style mission with some mailstorm objectives in there, and it was a lot of fun. But I got totally mission screwed like three times at that tournament, so I had no shot at winning.
2: Oh, in Guardian.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's the time I played Jeff Robinson.
2: So Josh I'm going to kick out of this. I went to that tournament, and I get down there, and I read everything, and everything was like, oh, it's fun, it's cards, it's fluffy. And so I'm from out of town. So I'm coming in there. I'm like, okay, orcs just had their index. I'm like, but I'm not going to be the guy that comes from out of town and brings 120 boys.
1: That's respectable.
2: Right. I've thrown in Gorkonot. I've thrown in Deaf Dreads. And this is index with they real bad.
1: <laughs> and, you know, I've got Flash gets in a
2: truck, Bad
1: Ruck, Gaz. It's just. Yeah, it's fun, right?
2: Right, and, so, and I'm looking at it they're like it's a fun two-day tournament. I show up, first game I get is Aaron Albert with his Nurgle Alpha Legion Nurgle Obliterator standing next to a tree, and I'm like, I brought a knife to a gunfight.
1: This <laughs> is not
2: good. I have
1: you brought tweezers, bro. <laughs> this is the
2: only time in my, in my whole entire playing that I've ever gone over at a tournament, and I went over. Because I'm like, I'm out-of-town guy, I'm not going to show up, you know, 120 boys, and like, yeah, let's just, yeah, this is hardcore. No, because it was supposed to be fun. Yeah, It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> fun.
1: It was fun for somebody.
2: It was fun for whoever played me.
1: <laughs>
2: and this was before the Rule of Three.
1: Oh, Jesus.
2: So then I got to play six, five tyrants.
0: Whoops. Yeah. That that was a big whoops. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, I have a story about that tournament, but I'll tell you guys after the episode. So, the other thing to know is there's a real decision whether or not you're using your faction-specific decks versus your the generic deck when you are building, because if you've got a soup detachment, which is often superior, as we established at the very start of the episode, it's not superior for getting the faction-specific maelstrom objectives, because even when you have mixed Grey Knights, the casting one's a lot harder when you have a third the amount of Grey Knights on the table.
1: No, it's very true. Uh, does, does the maelstrom
2: card say Grey Knight only? Or does it just say... Complete six casts.
0: It says Grey Knight keyword on it, yes.
2: Oh, when your Grey Knight site. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the Grey Knight one says uh, it's for every Grey Knight unit that successfully manifests the power. Okay. Then
2: I, I almost think that if you want to balance the game a little bit, go ahead and force those in.
0: Make everybody take them?
1: That's exactly, that is exactly what I said. One of the events that I went to, I don't remember where it was, but they used the Maelstrom decks. You brought the Maelstrom decks and it was actually required if there was, because it was early, I think it was early mid-8th, because they, they didn't have all the factions out. But if you're bringing a faction that had a faction-specific deck, you were required to use your sp- faction-specific deck based off who your warlord was. And it, it was very interesting, because all of a sudden you got this guy that's running, you know, 150 points of this army that his warlord's based in. You know, back when they had the guard battalion with the CP battery. Mm-hmm. The rest of their army was blood angels or whatever, but they're running guard-specific objectives.
2: I think if you want to balance it, you take it a step further. Mm-hmm. If you want to bring demons, thousand suns, and a chaos knight, you have to take the faction specific cards of all three of those. Oh. And throw them in there. Now, all of a sudden, you just made some pretty piss-poor decisions.
1: <laughs> Jesus, yeah
0: Now all of a sudden, you have legitimately taken away your holding objective capabilities Because that's what those replace
1: Right I think Jace is right it, You literally just, you, you've just put them all in Yeah Yep Yeah, you literally you just put them right over the top So you're going to end up with more like 42 cards in your deck But the better part of 20 of them are, sp- are faction specific That you're spread between three of
2: <laughs> Yeah, eight of them are Chaos Knight's ones
1: yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be great.
2: Then <laughs> as soon as your opponent shoots your chaos knight off the board,
0: <laughs> have fun.
1: Feels great. Yeah, no, I 100. I think they'd be bother. Um,
0: I'm just imagining saying there because there's a, a great knight one that's kill the demon. Ah, uh, yeah. Of course there is. And I'm like, did you bother with that keyword? I sure hope this is one where I can discard ones I physically can't do.
2: Right. No, but it's it's the keyword that's actually it's not on the top line, so no, it doesn't work.
0: Um, it, so, so the keyword is demon, keyword anywhere on their faction sheet, faction, or otherwise.
2: <laughs> I know, I was taking it back at it, stab. Yeah, at yeah. GW.
1: I saw it, I, I caught you. Yeah.
2: I, I, that is, you know, I get salty about some things. That is one thing I am super, super salty about. If you're telling me I can spend three command points in Deep Strike a night, but you won't let me spend four in Deep Strike Morty or Magnus to get like shot off the board every game.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Right? Seems good. Seems good.
0: Seems fair. So balanced. I'm going to follow that up with really weird guys. Right. So I actually think the deck alterations thing is uh, is one of the better ways to go. Either way you wish to use. Because I like being able to interact with it, so it's like I can choose what's in my deck. And I also think having a caps total on the total number of maelstrom points you can physically achieve in a game is useful because it does stop these hard swings as bad. When you got an 18 card limit, that's basically 18-ish points so there's there's a limit
1: with an 18 card limit uh, averaging the amount of cards that you would normally score two points on you're probably going to average the point spread of anywhere from what 21 to 25 if you were to score all 18 cards which is unrealistic
0: yeah that's definitely something and also i believe in the white dwarf there was a thing about getting to redraw your hand if you get a dump hand on the first go
1: Oh a Mulligan, yeah, a Mulligan rule, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, they they do permit a Mulligan, which I think is very helpful. I think that's very basic. I think it needs to cost you something.
1: Yeah, there needs to be a play. I honestly think it should just be a command point cost.
0: Yeah, I thought it had a CP cost. Honestly, that sounds about right.
1: And honestly, I think if you're doing the
2: before every game setting your deck,
0: yeah,
2: I don't think you should get a Mulligan. That's
1: on you what you put in. Yeah, deck. if you're setting your deck, you shouldn't have that option.
0: Well, it depends on how much setting the deck is, because if the setting deck is, you could have 30 out of 36 cards It's very different than 18 total cards.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And, like, if you have 18 total cards, you don't get to discard something you can't physically take because you had 18 cards. <laughs> Just gonna point that out.
2: Right, but if you're changing between games, that's on you. If you took a, if you took a bad card in your deck, that's your choice. That's like taking a bad secondary at ITC.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's gonna punish the bad choice.
0: That's tactical error you made earlier in the game. Trust me, there's been lots of times I wish I didn't take Recon.
1: Oh, right. Or Behind you know, behind Enemy Lines, that's a great one.
0: Oh, i, I never do that. So as much as this episode has been us ranting about the awkwardness and wonderfulness of Maelstorm, because it is totally a, a hit-or-miss kind of game.
1: Double-edged sword. It's
2: both awesome and terrible at the same time.
0: We gotta wrap it up so we can all go do our other things, because we all have other things to do. If you would like to hear more about our deeper opinions on Mailstorm and really specific thoughts, you can email us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook, InTheFinestHour, our Patreon, InTheFinestHour, where you can get access to our Discord and special Facebook group where you can see dank memes and other fun stuff, including Shay making a silly butt of herself again. Patrons are really helpful for keeping the lights on, and I'd also like to thank our other sponsors for helping us keep the lights on. Dank Muse for doing our Dank Dank music, Rylan Woodrow for doing our icons, and Stephanie Sherman for doing our T-shirts.
2: And Warbird's Battle Labs, WarbirdsBattleLabs.com, commission paint if you need it done. I've been known to be able to paint a bit. The guy who's working with me has been known to paint a bit. And also, there's going to be at least two battle reports and board games coming out every week. So.
1: Should be fun. Awesome. You guys, new facility. Your new facility looks sexy as hell. By the way, it looks awesome.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool.
1: Totally coming to visit. And speaking of, uh, you know, last but not least, anyone that's interested, uh, wanting to get some possible advertising opportunities, if you want to, you know, throw your event or your business, uh, give, give a shout out on the page here or during the podcast. Don't hesitate to reach out and contact us at either our email, Facebook, or Patreon page.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys. Our episode next week will be the ETC part two, the Eternal War missions. Which will include less ranting, I suspect. Yeah, probably. And maybe a Sean. Thank you for being joining us, Jason. We do appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck at T Shift, and good luck to Sean at T Shift. That is actually the real reason he's not here is because he's out at a tournament. Yep, anytime. All right, this has been Shaylen Allen,
1: Jeez. Josh Dev.
0: Thanks for listening.